And when I'm on vacation, I go to early morning meetings. I need that to be around my family all day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's worthy of a laugh. I get it. (laughs) Of course. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Recovery is easy for me to carry on here or in an AA meeting. But if you want to know if I'm sober, call home and ask my wife. She'll tell you quickly. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. I was traveling recently and I found an AA meeting. That's good. You know, (laughs) it's really good to find an AA meeting when you're traveling. Out of town. Especially someone like you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean anything by that. No. I went to the meeting and I went early because I hadn't had a meeting in a few days. And it was like, oh, this, this is what I need. Maybe I'll chat with some people, mm-hmm. get to know some people. And I, I went in and there was three guys talking. They were friendly. Uh, the, one of them asked me where I was from. I said, I'm from North Carolina. Then they went on talking about pulling an engine and putting it up on chains. And I was, I put in a 257. I don't know what all these words were that they were saying. <laughs> they were engine words and talking about the difficulties. And I, I put in a 240 last week in mind. And I, I could not get into that conversation or anyway. So I just sat there for 20 minutes and then some other people came in and I got to talk to some, some other people, but it made me think about how I have done that sitting in a meeting with my friends before Mm -hmm. the meeting. It's easy to do. We're talking, we're good, you know, we're good friends. We're catching up. And somebody comes in, I don't know who they are. I don't know. I don't know if they're new and I don't know if they're visiting. I don't know anything. And Mike, just say hello and then go on talking to my friends. It's not a good idea. It's a really good idea to break out of that and really spend some time with anybody new who comes in a meeting. Yeah, it's, you know, we're good at being friendly, like you said, of saying, hey, welcome. Yeah. But it's the welcoming part. I know I need to work on. And that's what you're talking about here is that it's beyond just saying, hi, how are you doing? Where are you from? Welcome. And then going back to my conversation with my friends, it really is trying to make that person that I don't know, and maybe they've been coming around for a long time and they just, I just hadn't seen them or or whatever, for whatever reason, engage. It's it's nuts, Don, that I can sit here and engage with you and with our guests so easily, but it's a different thing when I'm in the meeting room. Yeah. There's a a reticence also that maybe they don't want to be bothered. (laughs) Yeah. If they wanted to talk, they'd say something to me. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true. Or sometimes, you know, I don't want to treat somebody who's been around like they're a newcomer. And you know what all that's coming from, Don? What? It's your and my ego. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it, We might couch it in that we don't yeah. want to insult them or something, but it's my ego that doesn't want to look bad. So I'm not going to engage at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I really need to make a point to do that, to break out a conversation and talk to someone enough to just find out if they want to talk. And if they don't want to talk, fine. Yeah, you know, that bop in the nose, that'll that'll let you know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, at that point. Leave, leave me alone. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Hopefully it'll be gentle like a little cat batting at you. I've never had that happen. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. Yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're eligible too. You're eligible too. <laughs> Sam, who's our guest today? Uh, Don, today we'll be visiting with Gary from Austin, Texas. Sam, isn't it great the way AA just gives us this podcast for free? It doesn't work quite that way, Don. What? While we provide the podcast at no charge, we do have expenses. Grapevine is the only AA entity that does not accept contributions. Nothing from the basket or other money from your home groups. So to support the AA Grapevine podcast, please subscribe to Grapevine Magazine in print or digital. Or provide a subscription to someone in need through our Carry the Message program. Or purchase books or other items at aagrapevine.org store. My name is Gary and I am an alcoholic. I live in Austin, Texas. I've been sober since January the 1st, 2002. I manage the intergroup office here. I'm active in service. Life is good. That's an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gary, what is the manager of the intergroup office? What do you do? Well, our mission at Intergroup is to have a hotline that's answered 24-7 by a sober member of AA. Mm -hmm. So I, I keep that happening. I also maintain a website where people can find meetings. We were one of the first seven intergroups that rolled out the the software that that Josh wrote for a plug-in for websites. And then we also sell AA-approved literature. And that's all we sell besides chips. Mm-hmm. So, gotcha. And I keep all that functioning. I, I like to tell people I, I write the checks and I clean the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a full-time job. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, especially with serving such a large area. We have just over a thousand meetings listed on austinaa.org. Are you open seven days a week? Right now we're six, Monday through Friday, 10 to six, and Saturday, nine to four. Well, Gary, what got you to come into these rooms? I don't think that you started off working at the inner group. <laughs> no, I didn't. It's not easy to talk about my first AA meeting. I was doing it earlier today with some friends. I came to AA in September of 92. Um, I had attempted to take my own life and I ended up in the emergency room at the hospital and they transferred me by ambulance to a mental health facility. And I was there about three days and they said, your problem is you're chemical dependent. So they moved me into the treatment center side and someone who later found out went to my home group, brought the first AA meeting into the facility that I'd been to. And it felt like I was home. Now, I'm telling you that that was September of 92. I didn't get sober till January the 1st, 2002. The reason for that is I didn't work any steps. And when I finally had that last drunk, mine started two days after 9-11. And I had that last run and I ended up about 80 miles away from my home. And driving home pre-dawn the next morning, I realized if I didn't do something different, I was going to go on doing that same thing. And so I went to my home group, which is Northland in Austin. I was scared to death. I wouldn't introduce myself. I wouldn't pick up a desire chip. And I did that for about five or six weeks. I was afraid I was going to drink again. 
And some man came and sat about six or seven chairs down from me. I had never seen him before. He talked about being uncomfortable in his own skin. And that's where I was at. I, I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I was smoking about five cigarettes during the meeting. We could still do that then. And I was drinking about three cups of coffee, just scared to death. And I went up to him after that meeting and asked him to take me through the steps. Wow. He was my sponsor for my first 12 years. It's he's exactly what I needed. He's 17 years younger than me, but it's exactly what I needed. So we're still friends. So I'll have lunch with him about every other week. He taught me about recovery. He taught me about all three sides of the triangle, uh, the recovery, you know, doing the step work, the unity, going to meetings and the service, doing service work. And I had to do all of those. Since I've done that, I've been sober. Ten years of going to AA and not doing the steps, not doing the work, and you drank all that time. I would go on benches. You know, I, I may get six, eight months clean. I was not sober. Maybe dry time would be a better way, you know, and then I would go on a bender for a weekend or two or three days and I'm back at my AA meeting. Miserable. When I look back on those years, those were some of the most miserable years of my life. As you're aware of, alcohol is a way for me to treat my alcoholism. Recovery is another way, and that's what I choose today, is to pour recovery on my alcoholism. Well, what was going on inside of you that was making it okay to not work the program, but just come back? I mean, did you understand why you couldn't quit drinking? I don't know that I understood that. I knew that the success came in the steps. It talks about it in the big book on the top of 59. It says, here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. I knew that I was afraid of that fourth step. Like the 12 and 12 talks about, I didn't want to look at myself. Don't dare, don't go there. And I was afraid of that. And it took King Alcohol to convince me that I was more afraid of getting drunk again than I was of doing four step. Mm -hmm. And this came after a suicide attempt was the first time and it still wasn't enough. No, death, death doesn't, <laughs> doesn't scare me. That's part of my story too. The, the last drunk, the places I went. I ended up at this gentleman's house. We entered off the alley. There's spotlights and cameras. Uh, beware of dog. I'd already been drinking. I'm thinking this guy's a little bit paranoid. And he lives in a little, almost like a hallway in the side of somebody's house. He's alone, afraid, and all he could do was get loaded. And that was where I was at. I was alone, afraid. I identified real hard with that. I, I believe God took me to those places so that I would have a chance to have a, a spiritual experience. I had a moment of clarity is what I had. Yeah, the moment mm. of clarity. That clarity I said a while ago, I was either keep doing this and go on to the bitter end alone, afraid like that man was, or find recovery. Working the steps was the solution. I have a host of friends now. That fourth step is such an obstacle for so many of us. It does a disservice to newcomers, people who have not worked a fourth step, when we talk about it as being some big bugbear. Yeah, it requires some work, but it's not this big monstrous task that is so frightening. I make it a point to talk about my experience of doing the fourth step and how I've done it over the years, just to make it a simple conversation and normalize it, that this is just part of what we do. I'm with you, Sam. I talk about it too. 
my sponsor taught me not only do I have to inventory the grosser defects, but also some of the assets that I have. And I'm grateful for that. That's exactly what I needed. I'm not all bad. I'm not bad at all. I'm a sick man trying to get well. I, I do highlight the fourth step. Just do it. Just walk into it and do it. And then follow it immediately with a fifth step. When I finished that fifth step, I had an understanding, a brief moment of what sobriety was, that peace and serenity that comes from being comfortable in my own skin, being okay with who I am. Because whenever I ran, I was always there with me. I could not run myself, mm-hmm. no matter how fast I went. Wherever you go, there you are. There you are. Or <laughs> wherever you are, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and I, I love that you said, roll right into that fifth step. Complete Mm -hmm. that four step and don't sit on it. Mm -mm. If you're a perfectionist, I'm one of these. Let it go. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be perfect. Just put down what you can put down and trust me, it's going to be just fine because you're going to do it again anyway. That's right. (laughs) Perfection comes with procrastination. Those two go, they're kissing cousins. But I want to share this part too. My service work at six years, my sponsor had me start going to prison. And I did six years at a prison and they became all women. So I moved to a different unit. And when I moved for about five years, I got to take an individual in prison through the first five steps, just him and I. Amazing experience. And and out of that, there's about five people in my phone book that have since gotten out of a prison, have worked the 12 steps all the way and are still sober. Not that I did anything. I got to be there for the experience. I got to show them how I did it and they did it themselves. You know, I think that the most, how to put this, but the surefire way for me to have a spiritual experience that has happened more than not is in listening to somebody's fifth step. And in that experience, the identification that I have with this other person and that they have with me, and I feel the presence of my higher power in the room as well, it has happened more often than not. Yeah, I couldn't disagree with you at all. Taking someone through the steps and seeing the light come on and see them get it, realizing it's not me doing it. It's them and their experience with their higher power where they're addressing the spiritual malady. That's, that's where recovery happens. Absolutely. I think it's an important distinction to note that, yes, I'm being of service when I'm helping someone go through the steps, but I get to help someone go through the steps. That's the gift. Yeah. I get to do this. Yeah. Those Tuesday nights that I was going to the local prison and doing that, I would get home and my wife would say, you know, this does something for you. Please don't stop doing this. <laughs> she's active in Al-Anon and, and she's the one that pointed out to me, you come home and you're so on fire with life. Oh, yeah, that's great. I had that anxiety around the fourth step and I got the benefit. It was at the end of the fifth step that I really began to feel better about it. But I got into a group that this guy was doing something called steps alive, something like that. He would take a group of people through the steps, two or three steps a night. Like we do one, two, three, the first night. And then the way that he did four and five with this group is sit down, write out the fourth step and then share it with the person across from you. And then they would share theirs with you. 
He called it swapping fist steps. <laughs> and it just drained all of the anxiety about it out of it because everybody was doing it. And he's sharing with me and I'm sharing with him. And, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing. I think maybe it just requires trust in listening to somebody's fist step who's done the exact same thing and to be able to say, I've done that. You don't have to be that person anymore. That's such freedom. I, I will agree. The The man that took me through the steps the first time was named Will C. First off, I did my first fifth step about 30 days dry. And he had built that trust that you're talking about. And he did it by being such a humble person. So there's also the other steps. I have a pretty powerful ninth step story that I wouldn't mind sharing with you. And I'd love to hear it. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So I'm about 18 months sober and I've done, you know, a lot of my ninth, my eight step list. I've done a lot of that amends and Will and I sat down and went over my eight step list. The first wife was on there. Remember, this is 20 years ago, not a whole lot of internet. So I said, I'm not sure how to find her. He said, you don't have to. When God's ready, he's going to put her in front of you. Seize the opportunity. It may be the only one you get. It wasn't 10 days later. I left my noon meeting. I got sober to noon meeting. I left my noon meeting and I'm at a grocery store about six blocks up the street that I'm in a couple times a week. I pull in the parking lot and I see this woman who I hadn't seen in about 25 years get out of a van. And I said, oh, my God, that's my that's, that's, oh, that's my ex-wife. I started arguing with, with myself, with God, with Will, all in my head. The grocery store is not the proper venue to make an amends. It's just not. <laughs> and I could hear Will saying, you know, maybe the only opportunity you get, seize the moment. And I saw her in the grocery store about five or six times. I'm sorry, five or six times that day or five or six times in the next five, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. All at one time where I'm doing my shopping and so is she. And I'm still arguing with myself. And the last thing I need, she's standing at the shelf in the way. <laughs> and so I step back about four or five feet. And when she's done, she turns my way. And this is how I remember the conversation going. I said, is your name Debbie? She goes, yes, it is. Who the hell are you? I said, I'm Gary. I'm your first ex-husband. She goes, oh, my God. I said, I'm sober, and I want to stay that way. And when we were married, there were things that I did that were wrong. What can I do to make it right? Take me to a meeting because I can't get sober was the response I got. Uh, ah. All right, so now you're going to make me cry. That resentment's gone. From that oh. second on, I've never had that resentment again. Powerful. Wow. Just. And as powerful and special as that experience is, it's not unique. That's right. It happens all over the place for us in Alcoholics Anonymous. You're right. I agree. I see it all the time. Thank you for sharing that with us. Incredible. <laughs> so we talked for a couple minutes, exchanged phone numbers. I went and checked out. And she comes back by and says, hey, my mom's at the store with me, too. And I'm going, oh, no. Another immense right here in the grocery store. <laughs> so I, I go over to where her mom is and 
greetings. And I do the same thing. I've taught to do that. I said, you know, when I was part of your family, there were things that I did that were wrong. If I can be specific, I will. But that, that was a general area. I said, you know, what can I do to make it right? And she says, just keep doing what you're doing. She goes, but do you remember when you left? Because I left for the Air Force. When you left, she goes, I gave you a prayer. Do you remember that? I had forgotten until she said it. She gave me the serenity prayer long form. Really? <laughs> yes. 25 years before. Yeah. Just powerful stuff. I mean, and, and you're right, Sam. This happens all over the place. Happens to us when we get busy in, in AA and work the steps, open ourselves up try and follow what, what we believe our higher power wants us to do. And this stuff happens. So now I called her every Saturday for about three months. She at that time lived about an hour away. I was committed. I was going to go pick her up, take her to my meeting. Cause that's all, all I knew, introduce her to the, the ladies at my meeting and take her back home. I was, I was committed and she was never interested. And after about three months, my will said, Hey, you've done your part. She's got your number. If she wants to get sober, she can, but that resentment has never returned. And she was the first resentment on my four-step list. To have these resentments of people and things where that just play over and over in my mind and to be free of that, that I don't have to run that tape of that, you know, anger or hatred or whatever it is, oh, it's such freedom. It is, and these are resentments that have a groove in your brain. I mean, yeah, they've they been there for so long that, yeah. A lot of drinking at that, at that resentment, a lot. And I'm not sure there's any other way that that could have happened, that I would have let go of that resentment that easy. But with that interchange, God's all over this. Who am I to question him? I'd already learned that. So. Well, Gary, on a previous episode... We heard a story of yours, and I want you to tell it. <laughs> what episode was it? You know what it was. <laughs> Season three, episode 25. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all go look it up. I heard this from a speaker. It, it's Bob D. from Las Vegas. It's a God story. He was in the old part of London, where the buildings are only four or five stories tall, because hundreds of years, that's all they could build them. The street lights are gas. They have a person that goes around and lights them. They're called a lamplighter. He's on top of this building looking out over the dusk. And while you can't see the lamplighter, which is like God, you can't see the lamplighter. You can see where he's been because the streets are lit up. And that just made sense to me. When I stop and look back, I can see where God is in my life. This story about Debbie, that resentment, God was all over that. Just the fact that I'm sober is a miracle. It is amazing what happens. And it's because I don't see God right here, right now. But when I stop and look back, I see where he's been. It's incredible how that happens. I, I was in pain after having a root canal. I went to the drugstore. I wanted one pill of painkiller. Mm -hmm. So I was waiting and they were taking freaking forever to fill this. I was sat there for 20, 30 minutes, could start to feel the throbbing happening. So I was going to go up there and start screaming at these people. And I said a prayer, help me get through this. Let me be patient. Immediately, someone from AA walked in the door and said, Don, what are you doing here? She said, well, 
I don't think that the pain from a root canal, I never heard of it killing you. I think you're going to be all right one way or the other, <laughs> which was you know, just like, okay, no sympathy whatsoever, but definitely helped me. <laughs> and then got in the car, a member of AA drove by and waved, Don, how are you doing? Another one. And I don't see members of AA all over the place. It, it never happens, but two of them showed up right then when I needed them. It's crazy. It is amazing. <laughs> All right. Is there something that you didn't get to talk about that you'd like to share? on? As I've said, my wife is in Al-Anon. She sponsors more women than I do men in AA. So, I mean, she's very active. Early on, our sponsors taught us how to use couples meetings in recovery, where we do tradition studies and how to use recovery in our relationship. That's probably the thread that's kept us together in some of our difficult times is to use AA. We still do a couples meeting. Matter of fact, we're a part of two right now. So we meet with our old couples and then we help the young couples get their meeting started and they don't want us to leave. They like us. Harry, you're seeing a couple of frowns here because I know Don hasn't either. From what I can, I've never heard of a couples meeting. Uh -uh. Talk to us about this. Well, the way that we were taught, it's a small group, usually five or six couples at the most. We meet once a month. Everybody's committed. You come to every meeting and you start to build uh, relationships that way. We bring a topic usually out of the family afterwards or some Al-Anon literature, and we share about what our experience is with that. Plus, it's like an AA meeting and people share what's going on, you know, in their immediate life and their struggles. And it's been powerful. I've been doing it all my recovery. The benefit, the payoff is we use recovery in our home. I have a 23-year-old son who March 29th had three years of recovery. Not anything we did other than get out of his way. Mm. But once he did find recovery, he starts talking to us about it. He goes, I see what y'all did. I saw what happened in your life. I saw the stuff. So we were living examples for him and didn't even realize that, that we were. Wow. In the couples meetings, do all members have to be in recovery? Have to be an AA or Al-Anon. These are not published meetings, are they? No. These are a handful of couples that have agreed that we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. It works better if you have a controlled environment, if you will, where there's the same people that meet week in, week out. Now, Mm -hmm. in Houston, which is close to a couple 180 miles away, they have couples meeting where they'll have 100, 150 people there. They call them family afterwards. That's probably effective, too. But what I learned about was a small meeting. We go to everybody's home. That's another important part of it. It's just, it's been great for my relationship. Gary, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being here. Gary, thank you so much. Thank you all. I'm very passionate about my AA and happily share. Probably, this is probably service work that I like too much. Yeah. Sam, can you get that? It's the listener feedback phone. 212-870-3418. Yeah, hang on. I'll get it. Hello? Yeah, this is Richard, 12-23-70, my sobriety date. And I want to let you know that I really enjoy your podcast and keep up the good work. Thanks. Thanks, Richard. We're happy you called. Your message made us smile down in our hearts. Thanks so much. We have an email from Tori regarding Season 4, Episode 15, Enlarging Our Spiritual Life. Tori writes, 
Hi, you guys. Thanks for the podcast. I've downloaded this episode and will listen to it often. It was unexpected and hilarious that you speeded up the speech when referencing using speed. A big hearty belly laugh from me on that. I appreciate what you're doing here. Fun and sobriety is vital in my opinion. It keeps me coming back. I'm an alcoholic named Tori. Sobriety date July 19, 1986. It happened one day at a time, just like everyone else with continuous sobriety. I love finding recovery media that discusses the God thing, which I feel is a big reason so many newcomers stop going to meetings. The use of the Our Father to close a meeting, particularly when a first-timer is in attendance, is thoughtless. The we version of the serenity prayer or the responsibility statement is much more encouraging. I, too, was raised Roman Catholic, and when I was young, my questions about it were met with disdain. Several events in my life prompted my decision not to have anything to do with religion or what it was promoting. When finally arriving in AA, I was discouraged to see God in the stepwork on the wall. I didn't think AA would work for me because of that. Luckily for me, the woman I asked to sponsor me told me that in Bill's story, page 12, he said that I could have my own concept of a higher power. What? Wow. This made all the difference. I have found Theravada Buddhism is a great tool for right living for me, as well as having a sponsor, sponsees, going to AA meetings daily, hanging out with sober alcoholics, reading the literature together, and having a fun life. At a meeting earlier this year, a newcomer decided that the GUS, Great Universal Spirit, was her higher power, which delighted so many of us in the room. With best regards, Tori. Tori, thanks for writing. I, too, struggled with the idea of God and the Lord's Prayer when I first came into AA. I actually wrote each sentence of the Lord's Prayer out, translating it into words that meant something to me personally. That was the way I came to terms with it. In AA, everyone has to come to terms with the idea of a higher power and God, if that's what you choose to call it. That's the way we stay sober. I'm glad that you have found the Buddhist tradition works well for you. There are those who feel just as strongly about the Christian tradition, and I respect that. So I'm glad that we leave the decision of what prayer to use at the end of the meeting and before the meeting up to each individual group to decide. Again, thanks for writing. Tori, thank you so much for your email. I really appreciate what you're saying. And I, too, I have had sensitive ears when it comes to hearing the uh, the Lord's Prayer close a meeting. It doesn't bother me like it used to, but I absolutely can hear it with newcomers' ears and see how that can be an issue. What I learned in AA in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I grew up in AA, let's close the meeting with such and such prayer or the prayer of your choice in silence. And I am really good at doing a prayer in silence. Thanks again, Tori. Really appreciate you writing in. You can give a gift subscription of Grapevine or Lavinia. Grapevine has a long waiting list of incarcerated members who want one. Get your group, district, area, or AA friends to join in. It's easy. Go to aagrapevine.org and look for Carry the Message at the top of the site. I'm at the very wit's end. An old man who lived alone wanted to hoe his potato garden, but the work was getting too hard on his aging body. His only son used to help, but he had gotten into trouble while drinking and was now in prison.
the old man wrote to his son. Dear son, it looks like I won't be able to plant my potato garden this year. I'm getting too old to be digging. If you were here, I know you would help hoe the plot for me. Love, Dad. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. Oh, letter. Dear Dad, for heaven's sake, don't dig up the garden. That's where I buried the guns. Oh, dear. At 4 a.m. the next day, a dozen FBI agents and local police showed up and dug up the whole garden. They didn't find any guns, so they apologized and left. The same day, a little later, the old man received another letter. Oh, what's this? Dear Dad, go ahead and plant the potatoes now. It was the best I could do under the circumstances. <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.